0: This morning's scripture reading is taken from Hebrews chapter 5, a uh, set chapter 2, rather, uh, verses 5 to 18. Hebrews 2, verses 5 through the end of the chapter. And then our sermon passage is 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 27 to 36. And so we'll close out chapter 2 of 1 Samuel uh, this morning. Again, our scripture reading is Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 to 18. And our sermon passage is 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 27 to 36. Brothers and sisters, as the word of God is about to be read unto you, I entreat you, I encourage you, I challenge you to give your full attention to it. These are not the mere words of man. This is the word of God. Please, open your ears to it. Heed it, and by it you shall live. Hebrews 2, 5-18 to 18. Now it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And now turning, if you will, to 1 Samuel chapter 2, beginning at verse 27 and reading through the end of the chapter. And there came a man of God to Eli and said to him, Thus the Lord has said, Did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel? Therefore the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promised that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, Far be it from me. For those who honor me I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house, so that there will not be an old man in your house. Then in distress you will look with envious eye on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed on Israel, and there shall not be an old man in your house forever. The only one of you whom I shall not cut off from my altar shall be, the, shall be spared to weep his eyes out, to grieve his heart, And all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. And this that shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, shall be the sign of you. Both of them shall die on the same day. And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest, who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house, and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever." And everyone who is left in your house shall come to implore him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread and shall say, please put me in one of the priest's places that I may eat a morsel of bread. Thus ends the reading of God's most holy word. Let us pray. Our gracious God, we have read your word, we've heard it. We pray for your blessings upon what we have heard, that it would take root in our hearts, and that it would bear fruit in our lives. We pray, O Lord, that your word would continue its work under the guidance of the Spirit to transform our minds, to shape us, to make us more like Jesus Christ, to conform us to his image. And so we pray, dear Lord, that you, by your Spirit, would now teach us from your word, We pray for the preaching of your word, for the one who preaches and the ones who hear. We pray that your spirit would guide us, that you would be glorified, and that we would be edified in our faith, that we would be built up as we walk with Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now in the previous passage in First Samuel chapter 2, we uh, were there a couple of weeks ago, and so you may remember that the author of the book took some time to detail the sinful behavior of the sons of Eli, the high priest. His sons, Hophni and Phinehas, served as priests in the tabernacle, and we read about how they abused their positions and they took advantage of God's people. In that previous passage, the author of the book wouldn't even mention these two sons by name. But he did take the time to refer to them as worthless. They had lain with the women who served at the entrance of the temple. They stole food from the people's sacrifices. They threatened people who refused to give them the choice cuts of meat. But ultimately, in doing all of these things, ultimately their sin was against the Lord. They dishonored God by treating offerings contemptuously. They dishonored God by taking that which belonged rightfully to him. And they accrued it, they they built it up for themselves. Well, Reports of Eli's sons' behavior had spread abroad, as verse 24 says. And the end result was that they had brought ill repute upon the house of the Lord, and they were beginning to lead Israel astray. And the evidence of them being led astray, all of Israel being led astray, because of Eli and his two sons, will be revealed to us in chapter 4, when the people say, let us take the ark into battle against the Philistines. Now, Eli, it's true, he tried to warn his sons against their behavior, but it was too little too late. They did not heed his warning, nor was his warning really given in good faith. And for this reason, they would be punished by the Lord. Verse 25 has these harrowing words, but they would not listen to the voice of their father, for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. And so it's the case with Hophni and Phinehas, just as it was the case with Pharaoh, that Pharaoh hardened his heart and the Lord hardened his heart. Hophni and Phinehas, their hearts were hardened. They were engaging in behavior that resulted in their hearts being hardened toward the Lord. But we can also say that it was the Lord's will. That he hardened their hearts. It was his will to put them to death because they were, we might say, an abomination before the Lord. Now in our passage this morning, a man of God, an unnamed prophet, comes to Eli and prophesies the doom of Eli's house as priests before the Lord. And so you might read this, you read our passage this morning, and you may think to yourself that God seems to be saying in our passage that he's changed his mind. Verse 30 says, I promised that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But then in verse 33 he says, and all of the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. Again, it seems like God has changed his mind, but we must understand that he will not allow his name to be slandered, and though he is a long-suffering God, he will not allow his people to suffer for long at the hands of wicked men. As we work our way through the passage today, I would ask you to consider this. Though turmoil and tragedy often befall God's people, God brings about a resolution to our troubles through Jesus Christ, our great high priest. Though turmoil and tragedy often befall God's people, God brings about a resolution to our troubles through Jesus Christ, our great high priest. I've gone alliterative for you again today. It's rare. Don't expect much of it in the coming weeks and months and years. But today, we are going to be talking about the three R's, not the ones that some of you might have learned uh, years ago when you were younger. But these three R's are revelation, revocation, and resolution. Those are the three points of the sermon today. The first point, revelation. The second, revocation. And the third, resolution. Resolution. So let's turn now to the first point, Revelation. As a descendant of Aaron, Eli rightfully held the position of high priest, along with his sons who were priests in the tabernacle. We've already had that established for us in 1 Samuel. You may remember that God ordained Aaron and his sons to serve as priests, telling them back in Exodus chapter 27 verse 21, In the tent of meeting, outside the veil that is before the testimony, Aaron and his sons shall tend it from evening to morning before the Lord. It shall be a statute forever to be observed throughout their generations by the people of Israel. And in the opening verses of our passage, verses 27 and 28, God reminds Eli of that revelation that he had made to Eli's forefather Aaron of how he chose Aaron and his sons to become the priestly line from which all other priests would follow. God chose Aaron and his sons out of all of the tribes of Israel to be his priests, to carry out the God-ordained priestly duties. And God also promised Aaron and his sons that they would be provided for through the offerings of God's people. That was a part of it. And it's something that has been established in the Old Testament as well as in the New, though the priesthood has been done away with, that the, the laborers deserve their wages, so Paul says in the New Testament. But Eli and his sons were not satisfied with what God had provided for them. And as we saw a couple of weeks ago, they took for themselves the portion of the sacrifice that belonged to God. God said specifically, the fat of the offering belongs to me. And that's exactly what Hophni and Phinehas, and by uh, an indirect way, Eli took from the Lord. The prophet of God reminds Eli of his revelation to Aaron, but then he reveals something else to Eli, something new that perhaps Eli doesn't realize about it. God knows what Eli and his sons have been doing. Though they think they have been doing these things in secret, and increasingly it appears that they've been doing them more boldly in the open, God knows. Verse 29 says, Why then do you scorn my my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel? Now, it's true that, he is, that, that Eli had rebuked his sons, as we read in verses 22 to 25. But he had looked upon their behavior benevolently for far too long before that. And as our, this verse, verse 29, indicates, Eli was benefiting. He's included. You have been fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering. And as God makes uh, clear in verse 29, uh, he had benefited his Uh, benefited from their extortion. God asks Eli why he has scorned the sacrifices that belong to God. He accuses him of fattening himself right beside his sons with the choicest parts of the offerings made to God. And this word that's translated scorn, it literally means to kick. Now, kick would be an act of defiance or contempt against God on the part of Eli and his sons. God has reminded Eli of his revelation to Aaron, And God has revealed to Eli his knowledge of Eli's and his son's sins. And next God will reveal to Eli what he is going to do. And that brings us to the second point, revocation. Verse 30 says, Therefore the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promised you that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. And he goes on to say in verse 31 that he is going to cut off Eli's strength and the strength of his household and that no one will grow grow to an old age among Eli's sons. He's cutting Eli off. I made the promise to Aaron, but I'm cutting you off, he's saying to Eli. Now, this cutting off of the house of Eli, this revocation of the priestly duties of Eli and his sons, it doesn't mean that God has changed his mind, is now breaking his promises to Aaron. That may seem to be the case, but that's not what it means. One commentator writes, "...the promise of priestly service forever was conditional upon faithfulness on the part of of, of a family, of the family, a condition which applies to God's promises even when it is not explicitly stated." God makes it clear in verse 30 that because Eli and his house have distorted, uh, dishonored the Lord, he will dishonor Eli and his house. Eli and his sons have annulled the promise to Aaron as it pertained to them, to the house of Eli. But even though by the end of chapter 4, Eli and his sons have died, God doesn't completely banish Eli's descendants from the priesthood for some time. There is a period of about fifty years when there's no priest in Israel. Samuel effectu- effectively functions as a priest during that period, and then Abijah, a descendant of Eli, is mentioned in 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 3, as being with Saul and wearing an ephod, which means that he had assumed the duties of the priesthood. Abiathar, another descendant of Eli, served as high priest during the reigns of both Saul and David. And it is not until, until Abiathar is deposed as high priest and Zadok, a descendant of Eleazar, becomes the only high priest that the priesthood of the household of Israel is fully revoked. And that would be some 150 years after God speaks through this prophet to Eli. God tells Eli in verse 32 that even though Israel will prosper by the hand of the Lord, the priesthood will not likewise prosper, as you would have expected. And then in verse 33, God says, The only one of you whom I shall not cut off from my altar shall be spared uh, to weep his eyes out, to grieve his heart, and all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. And then he goes on in verse 34 to say that Hophni and Phinehas will die in the same day. And as for the rest of Eli, all of the men except Abiathar are slaughtered by Saul when he killed the priests of Nob in 1 Samuel 22, verses 17 to 20. And up until this point, we haven't even mentioned the loss of the Ark of the Covenant to the Philistines. Shakespeare could have used the calamity that came upon Eli's house as an inspiration for one of his tragedies. It was so bad. And all of this happened because Eli indulgently looked on as his sons committed heinous sins against the Lord in the tabernacle. Dale Ralph Davis puts it this way. Eli was honoring his sons above Yahweh. For him, blood was thicker than f- fidelity to the Lord. This prophecy against, uh, against Eli emphasizes that you can, you can end up in grave sin by thinking it very important to be nice to people. The fact is that Eli, long before, should have stood up to his sons and prevented them from going down the path that that they were on. And so this all gets back to the question of whether we fear men or fear God. It might not seem like Eli feared his sons, but his desire to please them by failing to correct them betrayed the fact that he feared them, perhaps feared the loss of their love, more than he feared the Lord And so the Lord is going to show Eli that he alone is to be feared because he is almighty God. That brings us to the third point and the final point of the sermon, resolution. If God had left it there, this part of 1 Samuel, if not the whole book, would be very much like a Shakespearean tragedy. But though he revoked the priesthood from the household of Eli, he is the God who brings about resolution in the midst of his people's troubles. Though God has revealed to Eli that his promise to Aaron Aaron as it pertains to Eli's house has been revoked, in verse 35 he reveals that he will raise up a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind, and I will build him a sure house, and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever." It will continue to be difficult for Eli's descendants, as verse 36 makes abundantly clear. They will ask this priest to intercede for them, begging for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread. But God is going to cut off Eli and his descendants from the priesthood for the good of his people. He's going to cut them off so that a truly faithful high priest can take their place. And though Eli's descendant Abiathar wasn't exactly a bad high priest, 150 years after the events in our passage when David's son Adonijah set himself up as king trying to take the throne from Solomon, Abiathar sided with Adonijah. And so Abiathar was subsequently dismissed by Solomon in 1 Kings 2, verses 26 and 27. He wasn't put to death. But he was dismissed, thus fulfilling the prophecy in our passage about a priest looking on. The last of Eli's line, looking on. And it was then that Zadok was appointed to be the only high priest in his place. And Zadok was a faithful high priest. He did not conduct himself the way that Eli and his sons did. Zadok was the first high priest in the first temple built by Solomon. Zadok was not of the line of Eli. Eleazar was his his ancestor. And so some have taken the prophecy of verse 35 to have been fulfilled by Zadok and his descendants. to, to, To be completely fulfilled. And in a temporal sense, that is true. But the promise as it was first made to Aaron... And as it is reiterated again in our passage, is that there will be a faithful high priest who will minister before the Lord's anointed forever. So Zadok does seem to fulfill this prophecy. But what happened to the first temple? It was destroyed. And then a second temple was built in its place. And what happened to the second temple? It too was destroyed. And there is no temple in Jerusalem. There is no priestly order any longer. There are no priests who are functioning in the way that Zadok and his descendants did. It's over. And there seems to be no possible way, if you consider the geo and political issues that surround the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, there seems to be no possible way in our lifetimes or in any other that a temple will be rebuilt on the Temple Mount and brothers and sisters believe it or not that is a good thing because it shows the inadequacy the failure of human beings now the Lord's anointed in our passage it refers to the king as it did when Hannah first mentioned him in her hymn in chapter 2 verse 10 but in an ultimate, non-temporal sense, the prophecy is fulfilled when and how. Of course, the answer is our favorite Sunday school answer. It's Jesus Christ who fulfills this, this prophecy. Zadok can't fulfill it. The temple is gone. Though, though the Jewish people may long for and hope and even expect a third temple to be built on the Temple Mount, there seems to be no possible way that the Lord is going to let that happen. And no possible way politically that it will How is it possible for this prophecy to Aaron to be fulfilled? Not temporally, but through the Lord Jesus Christ. He is both the Lord's anointed, he's the high king of heaven, but he's also the truly faithful and forever high priest. This is how Jesus is described in Hebrews 2.17. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. As the book of Hebrews makes clear, even the high priest, including Zadok, had to make a sacrifice for his own sins. But Jesus is greater than even the greatest high priest of the Old Testament by being like us in every way except that he never committed a single sin. Now, there is a complication. Jesus is not a descendant of Aaron. He's not of the tribe of Levi. He's of the tribe of Judah. Judah. But the book of Hebrews says that he is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. He's a priest king. He comes in and he takes the place of uh, the priesthood. And so the high priesthood has been and it continues to be discontinued here on earth. And that's okay. We have no need of any kind of earthly priest. We have not only a priest but a prophet and a king sitting at the right hand of God the Father on high. This priest, this prophet, this king, this Lord Jesus Christ, he reveals himself to us in his word. He makes intercession for us and he rules over us and defends us from those who would love nothing more than to destroy us, to see us ripped apart. The sins of Eli and his sons Hophni and Phinehas, they were heinous. They took for themselves what rightly belonged to God, and they were se- severely punished. They brought trouble on the people of God. Our sin, too, will not go unpunished. All sin is heinous in the sight of God, who is perfectly holy. And if you refuse to believe in the great high priest, Jesus Christ, then, you, then your troubles will never find a resolution. They will never cease. You will endure eternal punishment for your sins. But if you do believe in Jesus Christ, for those who already do, for those who will come to believe in Jesus Christ, you have Him as your high priest. And because of that, the punishment for your sins has already taken place. It's already been meted out. It's been administered. Jesus Christ served as our priest, our intercessor. He served as our sacrifice on the cross. Enduring the wrath of his Father that you and I deserved because of our sins. If you believe in Jesus Christ, he is your forever high priest. And he continually makes intercession for you when you sin in this life. Covering your sins with the robe of his righteousness. If you believe in Jesus Christ, then you have a high priest, a forever high priest, a high priest in heaven whose role as high priest, whose office as high priest will never cease. And that, brothers and sisters, is good news. That's the gospel. Amen. Let us pray. Our gracious God in heaven, we thank you that history and the history of your people is littered with examples of how humanity, sinful human beings, will always fail. We will always fall. You have given us obligations, O Lord. You've made promises to us, and we cannot uphold our end of the bargain. We are grateful, O Lord, that Christ Jesus did it for us, that He has kept the conditions of the covenant, that He has done everything for us, and that there is nothing that we can add to His perfect works of obedience. We are thankful, O Lord. That Christ Jesus has made provision. That He, O Lord, is the perfect sacrifice. That He's washed us clean from our sins. We thank You as well, dear Lord, that His righteousness is credited as our own. It's counted as ours. We are grateful, O Lord, that You have caused us by the blood of Jesus Christ and by His perfect obedience to be justified in Your sight. And we pray, dear Lord... That we would be grateful sons and daughters of the God Most High. And that out of gratitude, O Lord, we would seek to be obedient to you. And thereby bring glory to your most holy name. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.